Yeah, Randy, hey, this is Michael. I'm calling about my pallet of ham. Hey, if you wouldn't mind hanging on to that a little longer, so what I'm hoping for, and you can tell me, uh, I'm hoping uh, that it will eventually, uh, we may be close, uh, you'll have to let me know, I, I'm hoping for a, kind of a, a film across it, a sticky film that will build up, I don't know, maybe a quarter of an inch around, um, you know, kind of a consistency of a, like a very uh, sticky saliva or kind of a pre-cum semen, something like that. Uh, so something very drippy, yet yet get lubricated. Um, when that happens, let me know, and then we'll have to follow up with the next step, which will be kind of Swiss cheesing the ham. I need lots of holes dug in there. So there was a tremendous lag in between our recording these episodes and finally getting them edited, converted, and up for you to listen to and just for context these and the uh, few previous ones were recorded right around the onset of the covid thing in the united states of america where i live and uh it's weird you know in the we we haven't met for weeks so tonight i am the host you're uh the abbot i'm the abbot and i'm also the cast and it's, it's nice because i finally figured out you know with a little bit of reflection what was wrong with the other episodes and the answer is Jean Tweak Shell HP Bartimew Artemis Vivian all of a sudden it's like a, a rain has washed everything clear leaving only a obelisk of my genius on a pristine plane just kidding but uh I actually missed the fuck out of those guys. I'm sitting in the BGS clubhouse. So you, this is Breakup Gaming Society. I am the Abbot doing a cold intro um, in the days of plague, which means I'm doing it myself tonight. But uh, they're here in spirit. I'm at this big table. I've got the building to myself. I have almost the entire city to myself. It's eerie and beautiful. But in just a minute, we're going to come back. Uh, I'm going to tell you about the drink of the week. And... Um, I'm probably going to maybe build some puppets that represent our missing cast members. All right, bye. Drink of the week. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's the Abbott talking about the Breakup Gaming Society Drink of the Week. Now, this is something that uh, I've had before, and I decided... Since tonight it was only me, and I was under no urgency to provide volume or cost-sensitive choices, but I'd spoil myself a little bit. And I went down to downtown Fine Spirits, and... God, that fucking cork, the way it gets in there, it's like... It reminds me of what it's like to, when I have to peg tweak. Anyway, um, we're drinking Suavecito and Yeho tonight. Um, I remember uh, back when I was still married, once my wife uh, came back from the liquor store with, with a bottle of this for me. I wanted a bit a bottle of Maestro Doble Añejo. They didn't have it, so she just picked this up. And I remember enjoying it very much. So let's take a sip now and see if the, the memory 
or the, the current experience lives up to the legend. Mom, fucking shit, that's good. So, you know, on, on the back, you, you will recognize Suavecito on a shelf because it's got uh, a leather band up on it that, uh, that has its you know, logo information on the back. It says, the world's smoothest, which incidentally was inspired by my middle school nickname. It's just really, really good. Um, it's, it's got body and it's got spice. And by, by smooth, it is by no means bland. Hold on, I'm going to hit this again because fucking mama, I'm coming home. Yeah, that's that's just fucking superb. Suavecito Añejo. Uh, not cheap, but if you want a really good sipping tequila, that has a yeah, little, little touch of heat and spice in it, but also just this overall just velvet in the mouth, then... I, I just don't see how you can go wrong. So there we go. Um, I'm going to toast myself. May I fight long and well. May I fight long and well. Oh, this is going to get fucking depressing by the end of the night. Game of the week. So we all have different pathways into the gaming hobby. And I think back in episode two, El Pistolero and I tried to walk you through uh, a few turns of the game that started it all in our house, which was uh, Space Hulk Death Angel, a cooperative card game that takes place in the world of Warhammer 40,000. Now, when I bought that, mostly as a joke, the joke that took over our lives, uh, it came with a, a Fantasy Flight Games catalog, which I spent a lot of time with. And we ended up ordering the Hulking, unwieldy, Hard to learn, and even harder to win, Arkham Horror, which is now splayed out in all its 4,000 pieces of glory on the table before me. Uh, in Arkham Horror, it's one of the many, many games that Fantasy Flight licenses that occurs in the universe of H.P. Lovecraft horror stories. Now, if you're looking for the immersion of that subtle psychological disintegration and terror of the other it doesn't really come through. You're not going to get that. It's sort of, all the characters are there, and the themes are there, and the monsters have the same name. But what, what it really is is like being in one of those like 80s pulp sci-fi movies where the hapless villain or the hapless hero, after being just a regular Jane or Joe, thrown in the middle of something that's entirely behind, beyond their comprehension, suddenly... There's a music montage, and they like strap on a headband and learn how to find the book that casts the spell that banishes some 4,000-eyed thing back through a portal. And that's what you're trying to do in Arkham Horror. Um, there are a bunch of different characters to play that converge in the city of Arkham, Massachusetts, I believe in the year 1922. And every character has its his and her own strong points and weak points, and your job is to figure out why there are these ineffable, awful things happening all over town, and if possible, stop it. You can do that a couple ways. One, you can seal the portals, which is incredibly difficult. Everything in this game is incredibly difficult. Imagine trying to run up a steep hill of really fine sand 
while somebody at the top is just like hurling things at you. And, and that, that's what it's like. It's, it's really tough. And I am going to just fire up the game and maybe check in a couple times to let you know how, how it's doing. When, when, we, when we first started playing it, this is, this is the caveat, or at least how we enjoy it. It plays up to six players. But in our experience, when you're drinking and the game has dragged on to hour four, we notice people kind of start checking out. And it's not really fun when there's not that shared emotional investment and experience and your character is trying to do some really hard challenge in some corner of the board and you realize you've read the card and you're rolling the dice that might send you to the hospital or the loony bin and nobody's paying attention and it kind of gathered dust for a while but I found that the really fun way to play it is either solo it can be played solo or with two players controlling two investigators each, we find it, it, it runs really, really nice. And what they have to do is run all over this huge map of Arkham. Uh, over the, there's a mini RPG aspect to it because your character can acquire different spells and weapons and abilities and sidekicks over time. And basically lurking at the end of the book is uh, one of the old ones from the, the Lovecraft mythos. And each one affects the game in a different way. Along the way, not only do more monsters spawn out of these portals, but more portals open. And there are lots of ways to get fucked up. If too many portals open, you'll lose. If too many monsters are allowed to roam around without you doing a little herd thinning, um, it brings the old one closer to awakening. If you, now, if you can seal enough portals before the old one awakens, you've won. And that's an efficient kill. Otherwise, the fucker wakes up and you and whatever investigators you have left have to fight it. And that's set up to be a really tall order. Now, there are a couple times we've won in some really difficult to picture ridiculous shootout where somehow a teacher with a Tommy gun and a fucking supply chain expert, you know, with a, a, a spell book that they picked up an hour ago, figure out how to beat a 800 foot tall towering nameless god from another eon but few and far between anyway the game tonight is arkham horror run solo by me the abbot i'll check in a couple times and give you a taste of the action all right hello and welcome to the hp lovecraft Bumper of the week. H.P. Lovecraft was a very, very disturbing man. He created the Arkham mythos that you heard about, that our host tell you. H.P. Lovecraft has 17 legs, like spider. Okay, it's the Abbot checking back in with you briefly. I've now set the game up, which... <clears throat> is an accomplishment unto itself. I've drawn two characters to play with. One is Dexter Drake, a uh, magician, and the other one is Carolyn Fern, a psychologist. The mythos god in question is a being named Ithaqua, and uh, my job is, again, not just to seal gates. You can also win if you manage to close all open gates. I've never seen it done, and I've never tried a strategy that does that, although I might try tonight. I think maybe if you have characters with good lore ability, you can just rush the gates and close them all. I, 
I just don't see it. I usually assign one person as a gate closer and another person as sort of a combat specialist to try to stem the tide of monsters growing in the streets. As of right now, they are in their starting locations. Um, the first of the portals to the other dimensions has opened in a part of town called Independence Square, and a monster called an interdimensional shambler has come out of it. So here we go. Wait, wait, wait. You want me to tell more about H.P. Lovecraft? Uh, I don't know, man. I, I tell you about spider legs. Yeah. You want no different writer? Continued. Um, so I've only been added a couple turns. I've been distracted by a number of things, including my rising blood alcohol level and the fact this game is so hard. So uh, one of my investigators has already wind, wound up in the hospital owing to a tangle with a very nasty, dark thing on the streets, although we have closed two gates and sealed one. So uh, I'm far from giving in from despair in either case. Uh, you know what would know be fun? Uh, actually, I don't know. Oh, my God. But in either case, um, here we are. Um, my investigators are still alive. Uh, we've dispatched a couple of monsters, closed two gates. Um, I say we're viable. I'll check in with you later. Mazel tov. Hello, this is the Abbot, back with you again for the Track of the Week. Like we said before, um, usually I commandeer Track of the Week with self-indulgent segments, or we have a DJ, or Jean actually comes in with his 27-year-old perspective and introduces me to tracks that are actually pretty nifty, but I don't have to, be pretend, I don't have to pretend to be interested in any of that shit tonight, because you know what? Daddy's in charge, so... For three weeks, I did a, uh, a, a a Prince Paul triptych, and that is tracks that were produced by Prince Paul after his production of De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising in 1989 that were incredible, and, th and those included uh, No Static at All by Third Base, How Not to Get Jerked by BDP, and It's Hard Being the Cane by Big Daddy Kane. And, but way, way, way before that, and according to some interviews I've read with him, when he was 17, not legally old enough to sign the contract, he signed on to become Stetsasonic's DJ and one of their producers. Um, in an earlier episode, we highlighted, listen to the bass of Get Stupid Fresh by Mantronic. Stetsasonic is the only other production team of that year that had a sound as big and clean as and as well-engineered as, as Mantronic, except man, uh, Stet, Stet was pure hip-hop. They were the hip-hop band. They had a, a beatbox and a keyboardist and a drummer and four MCs and three very good producers, one of which included a very, very young Prince Paul. And there's a song, and if I've... I don't want to talk it up too much, but... It's the sound of a young genius spreading his wings, and it's called Pen and Paper by Stetsasonic. It's not only 
one of the best produced tracks of the of that year. It's also a pay-in to writing and how an MC his or her game starts with you and just a, a pen and a pad. And 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 the way each MC talks about the act of writing and rhyming is just glorious. And there you go. Well, I shouldn't talk it up too much. Here we are with Pen and Paper by Stetsasonic, produced by Prince Paul. I shall begin introducing my tools. The pen and paper I always choose to put people on the dance floor, out on a cruise, beyond disco or rhythm and blues. News from the pen is called pen news. Views from the pen are called pen views. First was the pen, then came news. Folks heard the news and then came views. The pen's ink is the blood of the body and rhyme. The paper's the abode when a rhyme unwinds. Together as a unit of paper and pen, my pen and paper blend and I start rhyming. looked at my bottle of a uh, suave uh, holy shit suavecito añejo I just looked and um, I drank almost a fifth of it by myself yeah I did I'm, I'm still trying to play this game in this deserted conference room in a deserted downtown it's very strange anyway um yeah, Pen and Paper by Stett. Uh, that is really, really, really the dope shit. I remember at one point there was a like hipster DJ. I think his Twitter handle was a thousand times yes. And at one point he had a a night where he would uh, had a DJ night somewhere in like a hipster part of Brooklyn where he would only play stuff from 1988 because he knew that was the best. This was this was part of that year. Anyway, um, I've only got to uh, turn two <laughs> of Arkham Horror. I'm unlikely to get further. What is it, 1254? Yeah. More likely just to spend the rest of my energy just packing this up and, and, and calling it a night. However, however, um, one of my favorite, favorite things is to go on to uh, the Poetry Foundation dot org site and every day check out the uh, poem of the day and god bless it you know um shit yesterday i found a a, a beautiful poem by uh oh hell mm-hmm we're going to find it we're going to find it uh, his name, the guy's name is Norman Doobie. He was the guy who uh, uh, wrote so many things, and, and and this is what I respect about him. He said at one point, "I don't have anything more to say." I think John Lennon did that same thing. It's like, "Why do you? Why didn't you cut records after the Beatles?" He said, "I, I didn't really feel like I had anything to contribute, and he rested it until he did have something." And uh, John Doobie. 
fucking uh, sat it out and actually took up uh, Buddhist meditation and came back. But here's a, po- a poem. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, this poem is called An Annual of the Dark Physics by Norman Duby. The Baltic Sea froze in 1307. Birds flew north from the Mediterranean in early January. There were meteor storms throughout Europe. On the first day of Lent, two children took their own lives. Their bodies were sewn into goatskins and were dragged by the hangman's horse the three miles down to the sea. They were given a simple grave in the sand. The following Sunday, Meister Eckhart shouted that a secret word had been spoken to him. He preached that Mary Magdalene sought a dead man in the tomb, but in her confusion found only two angels laughing. This was a consequence of her purity and her all-too-human grief. The Baltic Sea also froze in 1303. Nothing happened that was worthy of poetry. There we go. That's the end of Breakup Gaming Society. Thank you so much for uh, sitting with us through uh, Stethosonic and a few... turns of Arkham Horror. Until next time, this is the Abbot saying, may you fight long and well. Adios.